Okay, so did you know that Brendan Gleeson in the 90s looked like Christopher Nolan today? Yeah. That's about the only thing I was thinking about during Mission Impossible 2. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Master Movie Podcast. Hello. Zach's back. back for only 40 minutes. Yeah, something like that. Might be a little bit longer. We'll see. Ugh. Um, yeah, Mission Impossible 2. Hey, Alex, how you doing? <laughs> he, keep, yeah. he keeps going to video. <laughs> okay, sorry. My sister called me and it kicked me off of Skype. So, real quick, before we get too deep on this, uh, Alex, uh, I didn't get to do this last week or the week before, but I did do this in the Skype chat, and I want to make this... Very, 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 very clear here on the podcast right oh, now. Oh, yeah, right you now, haven't been on since before Spider-Man. Uh, five weeks ago. Make it stop, oh, Chris. dude. Hey, Chris. We have already, yes. we have already exhausted this to, like, at nauseum. We need to, like, stop. Chris. Chris. I am so tired of having this conversation with you. Please, please wait, 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 stop. Wait, 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 wait. We've already okay, had so, this conversation. Wait. What's going on right now? We're talking about a certain movie with a certain actor named Tom Holland. Stop playing the Brad game and get on with it. Would you just... Oh, God, (laughs) stop. Make it stop. I'm done. I am seriously moving on with my life. Okay, I get it. Whatever. Go (laughs) on, dude. Get over it. Holy mother. Stop. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, again, I haven't seen it yet, so we can't talk about it too much because I, I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> I sent a lot of memes on that first week, and Chris is very butthurt Make because st- I'm not. Bu- okay, listen. I was right. <laughs> listen, I am. Not, I, I thought we right. had already exactly duked that right. out. I thought we had already hashed this out. Why are you bringing this up again? I thought we were done. Make it I stop. Talk about this Move on, dude. Move on. I didn't get to talk about it on the podcast. I want to talk about it on the podcast. Just well, you're not going to rub it in my freaking face again. Oh, I'm not rubbing I'm your very face. very tired. Just Chris say, Zach was right. I was wrong. I got too overhyped. And we're done. Okay, so here's what happened. So, um, for context here. Um, we were talking about, before Spider-Man came out, that there was the possibility that... Spoilers for Spider-Man Far From Home, by the way. Um, that we were talking about um, the possibility that that um, the introduction of a multiverse and that Mysterio had implied that mm, the MCU was... Earth 616 and the world that he was from was 833 which has been destroyed um wink um so I I'm okay on Zach's hand he's like no it's not 616 Mysterio's lying um this comic book universe has the, the comic book 616 has no bearing on um, the MCU. The MCU is not the same thing. I said, well, anything can happen, you know? Because, like, 
they've changed comic book lore before to fit their narrative. So I'm like, it shouldn't, like, be dismissed like this. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. If Whatever. And, um... So... After... So then, the movie comes out. And, here's the thing. The thing was, like, I said... Like, I'm just like... And Zack is vehemently saying, No, it's not 616. Mysterio was lying. He was, like, Matt levels. Matt, if you're listening, yeah. He, he, he activated your... Your charisma. So... Um... So what happened is that the movie came out, we both saw it, not together, that, yeah, um, so we both saw it separately and he just bombarded it saying he was right, he was right, he was right, I was like, okay, um, and I had had a pretty bad week, so he's just rubbing it in, just like a, you know, just like a massive jerk, and I am, I've had it, I just... You know, I just flipped out in the chat, and then that's what happened. So, I apologize if I don't really want to discuss that in our um, thing here of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. We were probably no doubt going to um, dive into here. I have to. Go, I have to go back in. So apparently, so like I said, Zach was right in that. Mysterio was lying, and there was no multiverse. Thank God, actually. I wasn't. I don't think I'm ready for a multiverse yet. Um, but yeah. So he's going to rub it in. I just don't have the time and patience for it. So let's... Hopefully he's not being a douche about this still. That was like ten minutes ago. I can't see a time. Yeah, Facebook says about ten minutes ago. I think he got mad because I brought up the thing again. Not that you brought it up, is that you kept talking about it when he said stop. I guess. I mean, I was right. You're <laughs> back! There you wow. go. Wow. <laughs> you okay there, Chris? Whoa! Okay. Uh, Move on! Yeah, we're done. Red. <sighs> What's up, man? Let's just... Listen. Let's just avoid that conversation and let's just talk about Spider-Man from, from Home, okay? Okay, you I, know what? I'll just okay, review so it by myself. I'm just So... Spider-Man Far From Home, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I'm kind of actually spoiled to Into the Spider-Verse a little bit. Because um, Spider-Verse was really like really good. And... Um, shoot. Oh, damn, I gotta bring it back in. I feel bad now. We don't know what the time travel ramifications do we want to try this again? One more time? No, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know whose points is who, and the conversation is still, like, it's basically clay right now for the MCU, so, like, points are still up in the air, I think. I don't think anything's that definitive yet. 
be like I can see someone have, each of you guys having a point, but like in terms of the MCU, like I don't think I don't think anybody knows what the hell is going on. I concur with that statement. In terms of the MCU as a whole, I have no fucking clue what's going on. But in terms of Spider Man itself, yeah, points it's uh, but yeah, but and again, like I don't want to hear too much about it because I haven't seen it yet. Okay, so Far From Home, I want to talk about Lion King reviews. Is there any Star Wars stuff? Um, Sith Trooper. Oh, that's right, yeah. Got to see yeah. that red suit. See red. Was that this week, or was that like a couple weeks that ago? That was this week. Everything like melds together for me. I believe is writing the second season for Mandalorian already. Yep. That's cool. I don't think he has directors lined up. It's a man with a plan. Uh, Maybe maybe a Comic-Con. And that's all I can say, though. Um, Yeah. um, As far as... I mean, did anyone see Toy Story? Anybody know how good that turned out? Nope. I I have not yet. I, uh... And I will get to it. Like I was telling you before, there's so many in the theaters. There's so much in the theaters I have. I guess, I guess also a lot of people are giving, um, what's her name, uh, a lot of shit lately after that chef show incident. Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, I thought it was, um, I thought it was, uh, Scarlett Johansson, because she's... Like, no, it was Gwyneth Paltrow who didn't remember she was in Spider-Man, and now the world's giving her shit because she didn't remember. Yeah. Screw that, dude. If... Like the actors are just told to go somewhere and do something. And also, what else does she act in right now? Not really anything else. She's just kind of sticking to her Marvel money and trying to make her philanthropy work. So she's like not acting very much. And also, when it came to that like scene, she will. Robert Downey Jr. and those are the same people that she's having a scene with in Infinity War. So in her mind, it was Infinity War. And that makes total sense to me. If anyone's giving her crap for that, then they can just shut that up. Yeah, I agree. But I do want to see that chef show with Favreau, because I love... He used to have a so, show called... It, it's Her on Box. Netflix, and I've watched the whole show. It's, like, actually kind of really awesome. Like, what most people don't realize is that John Favreau is a trained chef. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. He's, he's uh, like... It's all, like, I, I'm a, I like watching cooking shows. It's weird. Uh, especially Gordon Ramsay cooking shows, but... <laughs> Before he had this show, he had another show called Dinner uh, with Five, and it was him sitting down at a restaurant, a fancy restaurant, something he would always yeah. pick, and it would be just him and five people in the business. So it was, it was, I believe Robert Downey yeah. Jr. is in episode two, but it, it only it lasted two so. seasons, and he was really, it was just fun. They just sat down and told stories, like Michael Rappaport told stories about Spike Lee. It was amazing. And yeah. I feel like this chef show is going to be reminiscent of that. So, so chef has uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Bill Burr. They have a Avengers episode where they just talk with all the various cast. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is on an episode. Nice because of Alita. Yeah, and I saw Alita. Uh, Jonathan Gold's in an episode. They have a Jonathan Gold episode. Aaron Franklin, David Chang, mm. um, a few other actors and actresses. Nice. Okay, uh, I will. I'll, I think I'm gonna watch it with my dad tomorrow. To be honest, yeah, they. Uh, it's really cool. It's John Favreau and Roy Choi. Uh, Roy Choi is a Korean actor who's 
or a uh, chef who's best known to work with Wolfgang Pug and uh, Puck and a few other people. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's a really cool show, really fun. Uh, John Favreau tells a lot of great like Iron Man stories, like stories from his time on the set of Iron Man. A lot of the wacky and crazy shit they did there. Uh, oh, God, good. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, any, I don't have anything else, then. Uh, I have one thing that's kind of more of a me and Alex thing, uh, <laughs> involving our favorite showrunner on FX. <laughs> okay, well, welcome to the Alex and, uh, Zach Z- show, everyone. Hope you guys uh, enjoy. I, Leave I, a like, I, I comment, subscribe. It's the, it's the prime people for the first episode of Evil Dead. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it's more about American Horror Story 1984. Uh, we got the first images, and we found out that Sarah Paulson and Evan Peters are not in it this year. Yeah, no, I did know that, and I'm glad. Uh, I am glad. They they need a break. They have done really great on the show the last couple years. Uh, Apocalypse was a little inconsistent on the back end. Did you get to finish it, Alex? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a little inconsistent on the back end, but that last episode was solid. Um, and I, Evan Pierce seems to have been having some mental issues, not being able to break away from the dark shit that he goes through there, and, uh, I'm happy that he's taken a year off to kind of basically find himself a little bit. I think he probably would have been in a better mood if X-Men did better. That too. I think X-Men doing bad kind of really hurt him. I think, you know, Apocalypse was strong, but, like, not the strongest. Uh, but the cool thing is, is that, uh, in place of Evan Peters, uh, Ryan M- Murphy's bringing in a Ryan Murphy, uh, uh, veteran to replace him for the season. Wait, 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 save it all for the episode. Why aren't we recording yet? Oh, are, we're not recording? All right. We'll, we're we'll recording. Ep- we're recording? Yes. Oh, wait. oh, even, even better. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, I'm done. So, uh, they're bringing Matthew Morrison on. <laughs> season. I need like a light. I need a light. Yeah. I'm an old man. Um, yeah, so uh, they're bringing a Tony Award nominated actor uh, Matthew Morrison onto the show for the year. Uh, I'm really excited. You see, this is why they put signs on in a radio station. Uh, I, I know. Or, or TV. Uh, um, but no, that's really good. I like uh, I like him. He's very good. Yeah, he's a great actor. He's a great theater actor. Um, he has done a lot of great work, and I'm really excited to see him in 1984. Uh, uh, we also know that Cody Fern's coming back. Uh, Billy Lord is going to be back, too. Yeah. Uh, along with uh, Billy Eichner. So. Yeah, I like Billy Eichner. So the cast is turning out to be quite strong, despite the fact that they they do not have uh, Evan Peters or Sarah Paulson this season. I good. I love them both. Uh, good. Yeah, uh, they're both great. Uh, I'm happy that Sarah Paulson's kind of taken a break. I'm glad that Evan Peters has taken a break to kind of do the, find their their way. Um, and yeah, I what. To me, it'd be different um, if they were on shows where they had to play the same characters consistently. Like, it's a treat. I, I gotta think for them, it's gotta be a treat that every season they get to play, like, not just one, but, like, a plethora of different characters that are different yes. people. But, like, I, I still, it's the tone. They're all dark. They're all, it's all super dark stuff. So I can see them yeah. wanting to be, like, in, in comedies or, like, 
do something else for a bit. And and the the tough thing for Evan Peters is he's kind of been kind of riding this wave that he got with uh, Days of Future Past since 2014, and he's been on American Horror Story since uh, 2011. So you know he's kind of been riding this 2011 wave for almost eight years now, and it's all been dark, dark, dark stuff. And he, uh, I think he's a little burnt out on it now. He he kind of wants to go back to where he. Uh, he came from, which is, you know, kind of doing fun stuff like kick-ass and... I think it's interesting for, like, him to be the best part of the new, new-ish new crew of the X-Men. Like, he was the standout character. And for him to not get the opportunity to ride that wave, considering he was, he was the Wolverine of the new batch. It's crazy. Yeah. And he just never got that opportunity. Yeah, and... I really, I kind of really want the MCU to take notice of this and maybe cast him as the new Quicksilver in the MCU. I think he, he's earned that more than anyone in that. Him and Hugh Jackman kind of have earned that role of give them that kind of that second chance to do something great. I mean, it would be nice if he got the Deadpool it, but I'd like to see him be somebody else. Like, I think that opportunity is just gone. And I also... I think Jackman's. I think Jackman's done. Like, just he's yeah. done. Like that. Logan's the best. It's the best way to end it out. There's no other way that you. No. Like. Yeah. No. Just get well, a new. Supposedly, one. Jackman has said he'd come back if Marvel offered him offered it to him. So it's about yeah, offer. Because it's, it's Disney money, and why wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to buy a second yacht? But I mean, <laughs> I, at the end of the day, it's like. Uh, for he's got the, it's true he's got the best ending and he's got time travel stuff so honestly you he could do whatever he wanted but like just make Tom Hardy Wolverine and get it done with yeah well Tom Hardy might show up in the MCU as Venom though yeah he could he played a movie where he was twins he uh <laughs> they, no Marvel has literally said uh, <laughs> no no I'm not kidding you this is actually news uh, Sony says that when they try to re-sign the deal they're gonna try and put a clause in that if they re-sign the deal and continue this that they get to put Tom Hardy in the MCU as honestly Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock is great I, I, he just put so much into that performance of making a human being that yeah. I don't mind seeing Eddie Brock in anything else but like. I, I, the reason I don't want to have it happen is because my dad and I made a bet that him and Iron Man would never share screen time together, and he, I think a hologram Iron Man works. So, yeah, I don't want to lose that bet. <laughs> so, you, so you don't want to lose a bet with your dad over, I think over the fact that you understand if I write him an email and tell him the situation. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, uh, Sony's probably putting Tom Hardy in the MCU. I think I owe you money. Don't! My god, I, mean, I made a bet. Don't do it! P.S. Disney, I like you. No, yeah. Uh, that There's a there's a very distinct chance, because it, it sounds like Kevin Feige and um, and uh, Amy Pascal really want to do it. <laughs> and of course, they always, want, they always wanted to do it, but at the same yeah. time, the only reason they always wanted to do it is because the movie didn't... They just don't have their own Spider-Verse anymore. They lost it. It's gone. It's now part of Marvel, but, like, I think Sony doesn't mind being the little the little catfish on the side of the giant whale. Like, yeah, I don't think they mind. Uh, I think Sony's kind of accepted that this is going to be the way they're going to make Spider-Man money. <laughs> I, that's fine. I like Tom Hardy. I mean, bring better yeah. people, too, but, like, I think... 
Yeah. I, I just think Tom Hardy put something into that that everybody needs to try and do with their uh, superhero stuff, which is like it's all ridiculous, it's all crazy. Make a human being so that you like you care about this guy. Just yeah. Like the- so so there 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 are distinct talks about possibly that being the case and then bringing. Oh, always- yeah. Uh, we I think we got I think one other big announcement that's probably going to be happening about uh, Spider Man Three actually. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming 3. Okay. Spoilers. Uh, 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 this is not spoilers. This has nothing to do with Far From Home. This actually just has to do with some stuff that uh, the director, John Watts, has expressed what he just wants. In case, to just in case. Spoiler! Spoiler. <laughs> uh, John Watts, uh, in a recent interview, said, uh, obviously, you know, things obviously change, but he said, uh, in the perfect world, uh, if he gets to write the movie he wants to write for the third one, which it's sounding like he will, uh, he wants to do Craven the Hunter for his third Spider-Man movie. Okay. Uh, Craven the Hunter is, ironically, a movie, uh, a character who has very deep ties in two comic books, ser- uh, two comic book series. Okay. Girl, um... The first one is obviously Spider-Man, as we've said, he's, he's an adversary of Spider-Man. But, the second one brings another very, 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 very popular franchise into the possible mix that could lead to some very fun stories. Star Wars. What? Star Wars. Uh, Marvel, not Star Wars. Oh, okay. Dang it. Sorry, yeah. Dang it. Why are we even talking about this? Uh, there's a very distinct possibility that Spider-Man 3 will likely be a Spider-Man X Black Panther crossover. Oh my god! Actually, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Uh, John Watson and Brian Coogler working together. Do you know why, Ship? Spider-Man and Surrey. Cradle Rob Surrey, that's what I'd say. They're both the same age. Oh, God. Are they? Uh, oh, yeah, they're brother. both 16. So. Suri is 16 years old in the MCU? Yep. Allegedly. Dude, she does not look 16. And he and she kills a person. That is true, actually. Uh, I mean... This is rough in Wakanda. <laughs> Sorry, I have evidence. I have footage. I mean... I have footage of her brother lying to her about it. Yeah, I mean... What if that came back? What if that turned her evil? You never told me I ran over some guy! <laughs> I'm using I mean, all my intellect for evil now. You you gotta remember, man. She 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 made sneakers, man. Who was I for five years of my life? <laughs> she did make sneakers. Then what if that's the thing he says to her? You have to remember you made sneakers, and she's like, oh yeah, I'm a goofball. Sorry, everyone, I'm not evil anymore. Yeah, uh... So yeah, 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 so she's... They're both 16, obviously, Spider-Man is a very smart individual, as is Shuri. Well, they're and, both 21, technically, spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah, Chris, I know you've seen the movie, and I know you know that's not how the MCU is dealing with that. <laughs> Oh, well, man, no. <laughs> whatever. Fine. True. No, that is true. I know you've seen the movie, and you, you know that's not how they're dealing with that. No, it's not. It, that's exactly how they shouldn't be dealing with that. But, 
Chris. I'm gonna be interested because I gotta know this. I gotta know how he does. Do you? Do you need to? Chris, do you need a? uh, Do you need to have your Chris single? No, I don't. Uh, (laughs) You want me to throw a banana at you? I'm a pretty. Get out of my driveway! (laughs) (laughs) I can see you from the tree, Zach. What are you doing? Don't worry about that. What are you doing here? Man, we gotta just, like, we're five feet away from each other. Why are we on the phone? <laughs> I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> <laughs> just just remember, Chris, your Chris Tangle is where it's at. Oh, God, now I get what you're saying. Oh, Jesus, no, please stop. <laughs> Alex, you'll get the joke. You'll get the joke. I figured it was movie stuff. I figured it was, it was movie stuff. It, it was a Spider-Man Far From Home reference that I wished he would have gotten You'll get better. The joke. You'll get the joke. Anyway, moving on. I get it. I mean, the, I get it. Like, Chris, like Spidey Tingle. Yeah. Spidey Sam. Yeah. Well, well, the Peter Tingle, specifically. Oh! Okay. okay, so it's something more specific. All right. Okay, moving on. Before we dig too deep with Alex, because he hasn't seen the movie yet, and, yeah. Have you seen Alita, Chris? No, I have not. I meant to catch it, um, okay. but I haven't. I just, didn't, I just didn't make it. <laughs> Chris, really have you seen Alita now? Excuse me, what? What was that, Zach? Alex, you've seen Alita, right? I did. I just saw it the other day, yeah. So, before we go too deep, uh, how'd you like it? I did like it. I thought it was really good. I thought it wasn't... I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was really good. Yeah, I so when I saw it, it you know obviously it has its issues. Every movie does, you know. Um, <laughs> this ones are no, more obvious more. than others. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't sitting there like trying like nitpicking it. But my biggest problem had to do with like characters that probably like are choices that are from the manga. Like it's just stuff that's like inherent yeah. to the story that like you could choose to change for the adaptation, but would like really just change everything altogether. Yeah, but, and I, like I, as an ad, as, as adaptation, I thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah. it, I've never read the manga, so I actually don't know really much of anything about it. It, it, it. I saw the special features, and they have like a whole half an hour bit on transferring it from the manga. They bring the like the actual writer in, and he talks about it. And you see a lot of the pages, and a lot of the character choices and decisions seem to be from the book. So like. The, the I didn't have a problem with the romance, but I had a problem with the romantic interest. Like I thought the, the guy was, a, I thought the guy was just a dingus. I thought it was a dummy. <laughs> I, I thought he was, he was super super stupid. He just made dumb choices, and I didn't like it. Um, but it seems like they're from the book, and you can't really change that if it's part of the story and you want to make more. Uh, I thought she was great. I thought her character was great. I thought the look was cool. Um, uh, Robert Rodriguez has a tendency to make things very like he doesn't necessarily storyboard how his shots are executed so much as the execution of the shots like if he knew he has four or five images he wants to do he'll make sure those images are great but in terms of like how people get there like the walking and the talking or like if there's an action scene like a lot of those shots are just quick i'm going to take them on the fly I'm just going to try and catch the person in the moment sort of stuff. It's always been a style. It's not like it's not like Roger Deakins in Blade Runner sequel. Yeah. Every single second of that movie is impeccable. Now, like it, uh, unlike most sci-fi movies, this one had a little bit of 
grounded realism in terms of how you just sort of felt like you were there. Plus, they built a lot of the sets, too, which is pretty cool. Not all of it is CGI. Um, but I did like it. I, I was impressed by how much Rodriguez was trying to be not his own movie, but two other people's ideas. A guy who writes books and a guy who makes film. He tried to make a James Cameron movie, too. So, like, yeah, that stuff is pretty... That stuff is, is, is evident in there. And then there's also his style. So maybe it feels a little bit too much like a hodgepodge, but it's still a pretty fun movie. It's, the, yeah. it's flimsy, and there's not much of a plot. It feels episodic, but also I liked being there, and I liked her. She was really good. I liked her character. Yeah, Ro- Rosa Salazar is a wonderful <laughs> actress. I liked her in other stuff, but I really liked her in this. She she is a character I'd like to see more movies. She is like the venom of that movie. Like it doesn't matter how bad or good that movie could or is, I want to see more of her. Yes. Um I completely agree. I think that she was clearly above and beyond the best part of that movie. I think that um despite all the drama we constantly get about you know, uh, movies based on anime and manga, uh, this one's gotten the closest to being really well. And this one's really close. It's It's got its issues, and I think a lot of its issues stem from the fact that the director itself is a little bit weaker on the, the talking bits, and that he was basically also trying to direct two other people's movies. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I like think that it did it, and I feel like he could step it up. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's there's no telling what could have happened if Cameron or someone of a better caliber had made this, but I'm glad a guy wanted to make it and had fun making it, made it. At the end of the day, like, I don't think people are going to look back on this movie and be like, this was a bad movie. I think they'll look back and be like, this was a, this was a gem, and people should have given it more love. Yeah, this is one that I think is going to really push you know, directors who want to adapt these stories, at, at least some of these more low-end, more personal uh, anime manga stories and not, you know, these sweeping shonens where, you know, I don't think in the next ten years we're going to see like an Naruto movie or, or something like that. That is just unrealistic. They're too long. They've got too much story going on for one movie to really... I was going to ask Chris, actually, if you could have one live-action adaptation of any anime or any sort of manga that you know of, oh, I don't know if you God. care about manga. Like, what would you have? Oh boy! I mean, just like don't don't think about it too hard. Just kind of like go with what would be a gut thing from you right now. Because I have some ideas that would be pretty cool, but like none of them. I I, I like have one them. particular one in mind that I want to happen, but I don't think it ever will. Same summer wars. What? No, like this is like fantasy. Um, off the top of my head, off the tip of my tongue, right now, if you had asked me right now. End of Ava. Okay, I I get that. I get like we had a long hour long discussion, so yeah, I get that. I um I actually have two. Uh, obviously, uh, the first one has already been adapted into a movie, and wouldn't be that hard to translate over to uh, TV or to move to live action. In fact, it it is going to be adapted very very soon. Uh, and I'm very excited to see what what happens with that movie. Um. For obvious reasons, because I'm crazy, and it's being directed by a, a person who I have a lot of respect for to put through a good piece, 
And that, uh, that is Akira. Oh. It's um, Akira, apparently. It may be a good live action. I like to talk about TT, but at the same time, I know I don't care about Akira as much as everyone yeah. else. Uh, the other one I think you'll like a lot, Alex. Ah. Cowboy Bebop. Yes, I mean, yeah, they are making that already. I don't yeah. mind John Cho. Yeah, um, Cowboy Bebop has had more influence on modern American cinema than I think any other manga series has, an anime series has ever had. And I think it getting a true, honest-to-God, you know, big-budget American live-action movie is, like, the way to honor that movie perfectly. I'm very, I'm, I, I'm very open-hearted to it. I'm not negative about it. Like, I was even positive when they made more Fooly Cooly, and I'm, not, and I'm not even fully happy with that. But I also know it wasn't made for me, so I'm not like, I don't give that much into it. Like, I'm not as mad about this product they didn't give me. So, I, uh, if they, I, I don't necessarily know who this Cowboy Bebop is for yet. Until I see it. If it's for new people, just to get people into the idea of what it is and to say, go watch the anime if you want, that'd be great. But, like, you can't make... you on. I don't know if you honestly can make that thing for another 20, 50 years. But maybe they can. Maybe they will. I have no idea. I, maybe I, would, ho- I, I would hope that if when they make this show and it, they make it, you know, it's, it's one season long or it's 26 episodes or whatever you get out of it. You know what I mean? I would... I I would pray that it is as definitive, as exciting, as entertaining as the first four or five seasons of Game of Thrones. To me, when I think about what this thing is capable of, I think of, I don't think of like a lot of the spectacle and art of it. I think of how probably some of the best fight scenes in Daredevil played out. Yes. Like, I think... I, I, it's not like the, I think those are going to show up in there, or like the hallway fight, and oh boy, I don't think that stuff is going to show, show up, but that's kind of what I'm thinking about. There's this, there's just this stark style to both of those scenes, and, and, but also they don't let you look away. It's just, and that's how I feel when I'm watching Bebop. That, that slow motion to me, the only way to really, I think, affect that in a live action piece is to not slow down but to not cut away. To just keep long, static, straight shots and to leave those images, like, stay with you rather than actually slow them down. Um, That's why I like Daredevil, because it it was saying with the violence, like, this is awesome to look at, but it's also, you can't really look away from, like, the most horrific moments of it. Yes, and that's what I want out of a perfect, you know, out of a true Cowboy Bebop adaptation. I want... And according... And it's got a corgi. <laughs> Why did who, who could be better? Um, yeah. Um, I want. I I truly truly want Cowboy Bebop to be like that because I think if it's successful and it works and they do that and they they show that, I think it could go down as one of the greatest American television shows of the day. Well, it's it's the same. I I don't want to write it too hard, but like with Lion King, it's like I. I I don't think you can truly make animation... The whole point of animation is you're making imagery out of something you can't do in live action. You're just you're making that come... You're bringing life to that. And you yes. can't really disrespect that life or take that away. And honestly, making something that's the same thing of it, it's not taking it away. Like, I don't think the new Lion King is 
I don't think it's disrespectful. I just think it's lazy. And yeah, yeah, that's like because I'm not I'm not just hearing that like people are like saying it's uh, that it's just a carbon copy. It's the decisions that they make. It's like when you hear the I just can't when you see the I just can't wait wait to be king number you're seeing like animals stack on top of each other and like it's crazy fountain Bubsby Bruce stuff and yeah. you can't do that in this version because it would look ridiculous to see actual looking animals like stack on top of each other and stuff so they don't do that instead he, he just kind of they sing around a pond yeah uh, that kind I, of I, what gets I, me I'm like oh you, the, the fact that you chose realism for your animals takes away the fantasy elements that made everything so colorful and bright and fun about the musical and the animation of the first movie. So you've actually downgraded the cinematic nature by upping one other element of it. And it's like, oh, well, that's just... Well, there you go. That takes... I think, I, I, think, I, I think the beauty of... I worry about... The beauty of Cowboy Bebop, though, is that the show itself is just so grounded to begin with that I think it wouldn't take much for you to straight adapt what's going on there. There's not too many crazy things happening. Uh, because a lot of people have already said that the American Cowboy Bebop is Firefly. It's very close to it in terms of both writing and in terms of uh, strength of not characters. The not the way that show looks. Not the way the music feels. Not the yeah. cool... See, that's the thing. Like Firefly is fun ensemble space adventure, sure. But the thing about Bebop is it's cool, man. The music is cool, the characters are cool, the style is cool, the way it feels, like, the way it, like, there, you can shoot that thing, uh, look for look, but if you don't have the coolness to it, then what's the point? Like, Ocean's Eleven is what it is, but Ocean's Eleven has a coolness to that movie. It's fun and everything, but that's like, that's like a, you sit down in your, you sit down in your lounge chair in your New York Sky apartment, you drink your whiskey in your glass with ice, and you're cool, you're just cool. You pulled off that big. I, world yeah, kind of and I think I think what Bebop really needs is it needs to maintain the the um the um like you said the cool factor that made the show so fun to begin with and so good is that Spike, Spike Spiegel is a cool guy. <laughs> like you you look at him and you're like, yeah, I want to be Spike Spiegel. I don't. He's a douche and he shoots people and he's he's you know. The cr most crooked guy ever, but he's cool. It's... I don't know how you can pull that off in live action, because to be honest, I don't know how many people have actually pulled that off in the right way. Like, Tarantino can pull off cool to a certain extent, but it's always misogynistic and just kind of toned in a weird... Yeah. I think the top thing is finding, finding an actor with that level of cool factor who can portray that kind of cool factor with without really trying. Like you need an actor with just a um with just a what's the term I wanna look I'm looking for here. Just with a with a charisma that can be Spike Spiegel. You you want an actor who's I, I guarantee you there are better Asian actors than John Cho that can do it that just probably don't have the same um I, I guess American accent that they're looking for, or probably don't understand, because I've seen enough Asian movies with guys that I'd be like, you'd be a perfect, you'd be a perfect Spike. But at the same time, that's not necessary. It isn't just Spike. It's the show. It's the music. It's the it's the imagery. It's the right moments to slow down and the right moments to speed up. It's the it's just 
that show has an attitude, man. It's not just Spike. It's the whole, the yeah. whole way that it shoots its space adventure is really hard to get across without having the right editing, the right lighting. Like, there's so much to make that imagery work. Yeah. I don't know how, but so, I don't know. I think John Cho will do a good job, but I don't know if he's Spike's. I'm up for John Cho. I'm all about it. But like get any get any good actor in there, and I'm for it. And I like who they picked. Like yeah, I, I love, like I've seen Searching, and he to me in Searching is really good. I mean, Searching is kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, he carries the entire movie through a very different technique of how to shoot a movie. It's a found footage movie, and he's killing it. And I, it's enough for me to be like, good man, go for it. Like do your Spike. He may be a little bit too old for Spike to me, but at the same time. I'm happy for him, and I'm happy for the whole cast. It's the show. Uh, it's, how, it's, the, it's the look, it's the style of the show that I'm worried about. Like, the yeah. cast is not the problem. It's who had, like, for ex- it's like Hellboy. Like, they casted the right Hellboy, but the movie sucked. That's the kind of thing. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's gonna... Spider-Man. great Spider Man. Bad, bad, bad Spider Man movies. Yeah. Um, it's. I think a lot of it's going to come down to who's behind the camera on that. And, um, I don't, I don't know. I, do we, do we know who's really behind the camera on that? I don't think so, I don't think so yet. Uh, can I ask, Chris, you, you haven't seen B-Boy, I mean Bebop, right? Um, I did sparsely when I was younger. I did sparsely when I was uh, younger, and I tried watching it. I tried sitting down and watching it. And I got to episode three, and then I just, for whatever reason, stopped. I don't think it was lack of interest. I was just like, I just started sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeping's important. It's one third of your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I highly suggest you pick a bag up. It's really good stuff, but also... It depends on what you like. I'm a big film noir fan, and I like my I like my stuff over dramatic and with narration, and I like jazz. Uh, I also like kung fu. I like everything that that show offers. It's great. Um, so yeah, that's a good one. I'm up for. But like for me, fully coolly, like that's the that's the prime thing. Like you can't make fully coolly, and I would love any version of fully coolly that makes it right. And it's never going to happen. So if they made one, I'd be like, that's really dumb. Why are you making a live action fully coolly? It'll never work. Uh, unfor- unfortunately, my my true dream, perfect, you know, movie anime, ever got made, and it was terrible. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I I I understand what you're saying, Chris, about end of. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they, we've got so, we got somewhere close with the mechs in Pacific Rim. Do you think what you've seen with the Pacific Rim movies? Do you think they could come close with anything in even? So here's my thing. So I've been trying. I've been itching to say this. I actually started um, Netflix's Evangelion. I actually started it. You did. Um, you did start it. I am 17 episodes in. Um, mm-hmm. how, how many are there on there? Um, the the 26 that aired in 1995. Okay. okay. So. And I really, I'm itching to get to end of Ava. Because um, I haven't seen the movie in such a long time. Um, for me... I, for me, it's like... It's, I think it's casting. Um, for me, if you're going to adapt Ava, you... Like, I think you can nail 
Asuka and Rey and Misato and Gendo. I think you can nail those guys. How young would you want these kids to be? Well, How young would you as want old the as they as old as they were in the anime, fourteen. You what fourteen? Do you want it to be like Ender's Game? Like how? Do you really think there are any fourteen-year-old actors who could nail that kind of stuff? That's some hard. That's the thing. Stuff. That's the thing. If they're gonna, I, you need some Haley Joe Osmond dudes, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> you need some Dakota. You need some Dakota. <laughs> It's just, you need some iron fans up in there. I think it's gonna be hard to cast Shinji. The more I, just, I watch the show, I feel like he's just so hard to cast in the live action role. I don't see it happening. I think if you ever live casted him with anyone that was fourteen years old, he would seem like the whiny brat that he would. Honestly, Chris, like that's why I kind of actually think that. Uh, Evangelion is unadaptable. <laughs> I think it is too. Honestly, I think I think that's I, true. Believe me, I want to see it. I, I I want it so badly, but I don't think it's feasible asking fourteen year olds to do what that show did. <laughs> at least the yeah. original, at least the original show, maybe the rebuilds, but not the. I don't think the original show is adaptable. The original show is the one that people want, though. That's the problem. Yeah, I was gonna say like I haven't even touched the uh, I haven't even touched the other ones, and then like I want to get the Gundam, and I feel like that would be a bit that one. By the way, the way. Finally... I What's up? see. Hold on. Um, the the show that I think would lend itself best to the film franchise, at least as a trilogy standpoint, has already been adapted once, and they did it horribly, absolutely horribly. Um. Uh, they uh there's one show that from a fantasy standpoint from a story standpoint from having the right kind of stuff going for it Game of Thrones? what? Game of Thrones? no it's no. <laughs> Chris knows he's laughing and he knows no he, he, I don't know Chris, I actually don't know I'm just laughing at Alex <laughs> yeah. uh, go on. Zach, you're playing the pronoun game, and I'm playing with you. Is I'm saying, like, I don't know what, I don't know what. Uh, it is uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Ooh. And I wouldn't know because I don't know it. I don't know that Full show Metal at all. Alchemist. Well, I mean, I know, a, I know what it is, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's a great story that takes place in an alternate Germany, basically alternate 1945, uh, 1940s Germany. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It uh. It is a really great story about two uh, two boys who basically try to bring back their mother from the dead. Uh, yeah. They they fail horribly and lose. One of them loses their entire body. The other loses a arm and a leg. And it's kind of basically their journey where they basically become ch- uh, a child soldier and they basically attempt to overthrow the government. <laughs> so and they flew too close to the sun and they try to live. Hmm. Yeah, it's. They flew too close to the sun, and now they're kind of on a journey to get their bodies back. And while they do it, they kind of overthrow the German Nazi government. <laughs> nice, mm-hmm. kind of like a man in the high castle type thing. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a great story. Uh, the ending is very, very, very like very fantasy esque, where you know you kind of get your final boss sort of thing, and 
you know, the the parallelisms is the live action of this? There was a Netflix live action. Oh, that's terrible. What? Terrible live action Netflix show, a movie uh, based on it. It was horrible, and it was, I think, based on, like, the first, like, season, two seasons, I think. And it it just was absolute trash. I mean, serious. I'm so sad that they made it because it was Bad. <laughs> so, you know yeah, that makes that makes sense. In in speaking to, um, bad kind of yeah. watching the new dub of Evangelion, people need to grow up because the dub's not that bad. The Netflix dub oh, is wow. not that bad. Okay. It's not even. Nice. I don't even think it's bad. Okay. Like, to be completely honest, it's been a while since I've seen the show. They don't sound that far off from the original voice cast that I can remember. Like, sure, lines of dialogue got changed, but in the end, I'm like, message still comes across. It's still impactful. I still get it. Let's hope they don't screw with the ending. I hope they don't screw with Oh, man. I'd also like to point out the beauty of Fallout Alchemist, too, is that the story <laughs> takes place basically in Central Europe, so they can cast an entire European cast with it being reasonable and people not saying, oh, you're whitewashing it. It's like, nope, the show is definitely based on your... They were already white. <laughs> they were already white. <laughs> hey, guys, why don't we get it past that whole should we put... Uh, ethnicities in our in our cast by just you know making stories about white people. <laughs> hmm. That'll fix it. They don't need to be yelled at for making a Japanese cast. Actually, the funny story is this Netflix movie actually got criticized for having an all Asian cast and not having an, uh, a white European descended cast. Oh. It's really carried over to um, uh, Attack of the Titan, and then even more so. Yeah, um, their whole German stuff. Oh God, yeah. Attack on Titan's another one that I think could happen one day. It's just it oh, was it's so already bad. happened. I know well, they, they, they made, two two made those two terrible back. movies. They, they had those two movies. terrible. They were terrible. They were yeah, absolutely time they're fun to look at. <laughs> um, I, oh God, yeah, they were they were terrible. Actually, oh God, they were terrible to look at. But and the best part is, is that. They were like they had like Toyota commercials that were like on on the uh, on TV for like a year or two. Oh, they were terrible, but ew, man. I I they're gonna make that like it's it's too lined up, it's too popular. The problem is it'll go through by the time people start to realize like how really bad some of the ideology in that show kind of is. But that's like another show where like they won't have a problem. Like we got over the whole Asian thing because we made a story about. German people, so I get like at the same time, Full Metal Alchemist has been around for a while, and it kind of sounds like the like what makes the same stuff that makes that good is the same stuff that makes like Man in the High Castle kind of good. So, like, yeah, that's that a better stance and a better chance to be good if they actually took the time. Yeah, I think uh, what they re- what I think American anime, uh, American live a- uh, American adaptations of anime really need right now is they need a story that is Western enough that people will get it while also, you know, 
still doing what made the anime so good. Um, and I think, unfortunately, Attack on Titan's a little too strange still for uh, for American audiences. I know American audiences love it. It's it's crazy because they they think of it a lot in the same way that like The Walking Dead's great is that uh, it's a sense of dread that's always around. But uh, I think that uh, crazy imagery and people die left and right. Yeah, people are fucking game murdered. I mean, when you see that giant monster drag its face against the ground to get to them and then lift its lift its whole giant face up and all, like it has no face. It's just eyeballs and brain and blood gushing out of holes. And you're like, that's crazy. That's just crazy. And that's oh, awesome. It's, like, it's to see that in real life would be insane. It'd be it'd be crazy. But also at the same time, like. I, I, get, I don't watch that show fully, but I have seen enough to be like, no, that show's, like, amazing, and I get why people look at it to a certain extent, but also, if you really boil it down to what it's trying to say, it's like, what are you trying to say? And, like, I, and I'm not saying I fully believe every argument about that show, it's just, I think, uh, no one really knows where it's going yet, and yeah. you know, probably um, yeah. the, the, like, show, the show is very weird, it's got a very strange story that... I, I love it. Oh, it it, oh, it's it's nuts. I mean, I love the show. It's oh, it's the weird. It's crazy in all the right ways, and it's like perfect for people who want to see crazy shit. But I think if you really want to make a true good American adaptation of something, like uh, Full Metal Alchemist is like a better way to do it because it's a it's a very straightforward story that that isn't deeply rooted in its Japanese heritage. Is more deeply rooted in German and Jewish heritage more than anything. I mean, a big section of the story is about a group of people who were literally like genocided by the the, the german characters in a great war like i, I mean it, it's like there <laughs> interesting okay and the, these people are like religious <laughs> like, well i hope they don't i hope they stick with the i hope they like stick with um ideas like uh, this Evangelion where they just carry over the original property, give give it a base so the audience test that and yeah. then see where they go from there because maybe this is like their, this is their trial they're bringing over the originals and now the audiences are yeah. older and like hearing the name a lot and then when they make it, I don't know maybe it'll be based off those ideas it, It's hard man, it's hard to figure out, I think I think that's, like, a show that they could very much do very easily in America uh, as a movie, and the story's structured really well, where it's structured basically in three parts. So you, you can definitely do a movie for each part, as long as you... You'd have to obviously slightly change the story left and uh, here and there just to make sure it, it fits well as a movie, but I think... Because the whole point is, like, the insanity of putting little kids in robots. <laughs> Making them fight. Oh, that's just, amazing. Also, I Avon, just like how I just love how Ava takes that seriously. That's the great thing. Evangelion is like nuts. <laughs> it is, it is bonkers. <laughs> you know, Zach, we went on a full like hour long. I think it was two episodes ago. Him and I just like went on an hour long discussion about this show and like um, an adaptation would be crazy, he, but it's only because that. that that deadpan idea of just like in the first from the first episode it's just like you're a 14 year old kid you're my son get in that robot for this dying sick girl who fell out of the gurney get in, get, get in that robot now it's like oh my god uh, right. there, there is actually <laughs> one other anime there is actually 
Maybe surprisingly, one other anime series I think could make it to America. Um, and actually, ironically, uh, this series is probably actually already gonna get it. Uh, mostly because the series' roots are in American literature and American uh, series. Okay, Alex, we gotta we gotta play his pronoun game. What do you think? Um, I think so far it's the um anime adaptation of Debbie Does Dallas. Um, no. Boku no Piku. No. Um, uh, Agro Kitty. No. Princess Mononoke. No. Because I'm staring at it right now. This is a very popular anime series that's on the market right now. Evangelion. Uh, uh, Sailor Moon? In fact, it's getting its fourth season in like a week, I think. Log Horizon. What? Log Horizon. No. Dang it. Sword Art Online. In fact, I think this show would do really well in America. Sword Art Online! No. Dang it! I don't know. That would be bad if they did Sword Art Online. That would be bad. Mike in Academia. Oh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> My Hero Academia is rooted... Its entire basis is based on Marvel and DC Comics. Every character is based on a character from one of the two. And it's Isn't that kind of Deadly Class kind of chested the audience with? What? Isn't that kind of what De- Deadly Class was kind of chesting audiences with? Kind was of. A- the, the beauty of My Hero Academia, though, is that it's rooted in the superhero culture that's taking a big center role in American media right now, and I think a lot of fans would really, really, really be tied to some of these characters. No, I'm sorry, if it's in his fourth season and it has the, I've heard that name. Uh, I, I've heard that name, boys, so that's how I know it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> like, a, uh, like a total douchebag. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great show. The characters are really likable. Um, all the powers are really interesting. The main, all the main characters have cool, unique powers that do stuff. the The main teacher is based on Superman, basically. Um, Isn't there like a Johnny Bravo kind of guy in there? Um, I love Johnny, he's not Johnny Bravo. He's actually more like a Tintin type character. He has like the Tintin hair. Uh, I mean, and he's really actually going to be one of the main characters in the fourth season. I'm really excited because the character is really cool. Speaking of, speaking of children's movies that have scary faces in them, I uh, recently uh, watched rewatched Muppets Take Manhattan, and yeah. a lot of that. First of all, a lot of that movie just brought up memories that I love, and like it's really got. It has some amazing stuff in it, but then it has a moment where Miss Piggy is. It is she's in Central Park and some guy steals her purse so she borrows I think Gregory Hines skates to go chase him down and you see someone in a Miss Piggy suit chase someone down for the purse it it, it I think it's gonna haunt my dreams for the rest of my life <clears throat> like a Miss Piggy like skating for this it was legit horrifying that's Just saying really that intention go away that and Tintin will be like oh, they, they will I be actually the, just the found out something I... really interesting. Actually, 
they used My Hero Academia to help promote Avengers Endgame and Infinity War in Japan. Well, there you go. Well, I, I wonder how many uh, how many members of the. Maybe uh, you're right. I wonder what? how many of the uh, My Hero. I wonder how many of the My Hero um, Academia cast got dusted. <laughs> I mean, clearly not Izuku because he's. Been... <laughs> clearly not Izuku because. <laughs> That was uh, racist, uh, but I loved it. I mean... <laughs> that, is me, that is me quoting a line from another anime, I think, but I'm wrong about that. So. Uh, anyways, uh, so yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. That show has a very, very high chance of making it, what, making okay. it in America. Dude, it's not, you're right. I would be surprised if like we see that in the next two or three years, and then I look at you and you're just going to give like this bulging. Like I did already? Dude, come on. I just gave it to you. Oh, man. Come on. <laughs> okay. Uh, we can talk about... But, uh, I but found yeah, about uh, as uh, I that it, guy from MI2. Uh, I think it has a really, 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 really good chance to do okay. well here. Let's... We could talk about adaptations and what we want to see all day, but we actually watched <laughs> a movie, guys. I really do want to know your opinion about this. Mission it's Impossible cool. 2. Directed by it's the guy... Directed by the guy who made Swapping Faces Cool, made a movie about people swapping faces um, on a regular basis. Um, this movie's poo-poo. This is uh, so mediocre. Just mediocre, dang. That's like the worst. You couldn't even say it sucked. It was mediocre, like, dang. That's harsh. No, no, no. Hold, hear me out for a second. I'm not saying it doesn't deserve it. <laughs> I know. Here's my thing. Saying like, Here's dang, you're thing. probably not the only that. Like, I remember Face Off being just better, like better edited. Like, there are just so many cuts in this movie that I like. It was too many cuts for my liking. I'm like. Was this, is, like, where did the fall-off happen with John Woo? Was it, oh, man. Uh, I remember face-off looking uh, better than this. So, okay, so this is, this is going to be interesting. Um, so, well, face-off is a lot of fun, but face-off is when he brought, face-off is him bringing his crazy style to America America giving him all the money in the world and then him literally going, I'm going to do what I want. That's crazy. But then by the time this came out, they, he had like Tom Cruise. He had American Studios. They were looking at him and they're like, you're John Woo. You made a shootout in a nursery where people were literally carrying babies while they shot one another and they never reloaded their guns. Anyway, you are amazing at what you do. And we think it'd be great if you made our Mission Impossible movie. Could you not do all the crazy stuff that makes you John Woo and just make a great action movie for us? And he was like, great. I love Alfred Hitchcock. Can I just steal a bunch of his stuff? And they were like, yeah, sure, if you want. And he was like, thank you. And that's how you got this movie. You got a guy who literally, he has, he's, he's just got all the money he can make, the biggest action movie he could ever make in his life, but he just can't be crazy. That's it. 
he's fine with it. He has no problem with it. He's not angry about it. In fact, he's going to use all the great things that he loves about his favorite director, and he's going to bring that to the table and entertain you because everyone loves Alfred Hitchcock. And then he's just going to make an action movie, but he can't make it too weird. That's it. He's just trying to be respectful to everyone. And instead, he kind of makes a really boring action movie. And this is a guy who's made some of the best action movies of the 80s, Chris. We're like, we're talking about Face Off because it's a crazy, weird movie that had great action. No, he's made legitimate action movies that defined an era and inspired everyone after him. John Woo is a classic at what he does. And for some reason, you're right. This is the most mediocre movie he's ever made. It's also was shown all around the world. Everyone saw it. It was a huge uh, hit. And, and everyone doesn't remember it. You know, like, here's my thing. It's like... It was, um... Just, okay, I should have known from, like... I, I was kind of hooked into the whole, like... Like, the opening, like, five minutes got me. I was like, with the whole plane thing. Just the... That, just, that, that Dark Knight Rises crypt. Yeah. So... And Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> so... This... Okay, like... They went in a radically, completely different direction after the first movie. Like, it's like... The first movie's kind of like... In a sense, subtle. It's like... um, It's not really showy or flashy... Yeah, there's an elegance to it. There's an it. elegance I to it that this movie completely ignores and goes in the complete opposite direction. Yeah, it's Ocean's Eleven before Ocean's Eleven. It's classic. Yeah. It would it would come to your party with a tuxedo, but would never tell anyone that they were wrong for not wearing a tuxedo. Right. So... Like, it's just... I, I, and that's why I love it. Like, you don't need... Not all of them had to be that way. I'm not begging for an entire series like that, but there's something really nice about that first film that doesn't show off it just it's great here you go and this movie just it's all over it <laughs> it's just like um like the moment where he's climbing a cliff face for real um he gets to the top and then this helicopter comes and it shoots a giant dart into the ground <laughs> and then he smiles, he opens it, and then there's sunglasses. <laughs> that is the least subtle thing <laughs> that I've yeah. ever okay. seen. No. Okay, you know, here's the thing that I find so funny about this rewatch for me. I've seen this so many times because I grew up with it, and I was like, oh, and the first time I saw that, I was like, that's ridiculous and I and I wasn't an 80s guy so this 80s kind of stuff was like crazy to me I learned about John Woo later so <laughs> I had seen Face Off and I didn't know I knew he made that and oh god Broken Arrow's great too like Broken Arrow's a good American John Woo movie I, I, I gotta show Broken Arrow it's ridiculous too anyway um, I've actually seen Broken Arrow not, oh well there you go like to me Broken Arrow and Face Off that's good American John Woo but he's made way better 80s action this is just when they were like you know what John Travolta can't John Travolta and Nick Cage can't Nick Cage in your movie so we're going to clean all that up and we're going to put Tom Cruise Tom Cruise won't allow craziness Tom Cruise wasn't gonna, he wasn't going to jump on couches and be Tropic Thunder until later this is him trying to be 
This is all about Tom Cruise. This is the Tom Cruise show. And, like, <laughs> and his character's radically different, too. Okay, so yeah, I'm sorry, but it's not the fact that the dart hits it. It was the it was the way he shook his head. He sees the dart and he's like, <sighs> "I was like, oh my god, movie! This is this is ridiculous." Like, if Ethan Hunt is looking at a dart hitting the ground, like, "Here we go!" I'm that's oh, that's that's just bad. And this character is so used to the dart, but I never really realized that he just did that. It's just, his character's radically different too. It's like he's just from the like the last movie he lost his entire team. His family almost went to jail. He had to script and save and use every single ounce of his wit and intelligence, uh, charm and guile to get him out of that mess. And since then, he's been such a badass at his job. He's turned into the biggest douchebag ever. Like, he's just, he just walk like, he's, like, on vacation climbing rocks, and they're, like, send it. If you're going to get me, you better send the glasses. Like, <laughs> I bet he demanded those glasses. And then, like, they're, like, you got to get some girl to join your team. He's, like, I'm going to go seduce her then. And then he, like, immediately jumps the gun into seducing her, which totally backfires when they're, like, yeah, we need her to go seduce her ex-boyfriend. He's, like, oh, but I just put my dick in that. Oh. Also, like, here's my thing. Um, just, oh, man, how do I? This movie's boring. <laughs> to put it simply, and boring. Uh, it's boring. It, it would be an hour and a half if you cut all the slow mo. That and uh, where I didn't start, lo- I didn't start losing my mind until the last, like, the last part of this movie. Where like yeah, no, yeah, just where it just all hits the fan, <laughs> and so <sighs> he he's got to break in Mission Impossible style, which really wasn't really that <laughs> impossible. That is a style. No, he's got he's got like six movies. It's a style. No, you're right. So he. He gets in there, he's got to destroy this Chimera virus. And... Oh, God. So, what happens is that he gets to destroy all of it except one loaded canister in a, in a, um, in a vaccination gun. And he hesitates. Go through every single one that he goes through. You're not going to talk about every single one of those. There was only th- there was only three that we, we were shown that he was taking out. Oh, God. Still, you have to show like I. My point is, is that it feel like that entire heist is boring and takes forever. Yeah, it's uninteresting. Um. So my thing is like, he gets down to the last one, and then the shootout ensues, and I'm just like, yeah, I'd kill to watch John Wick right now. Um. Um, like the yeah. whole, like the whole time I'm thinking, get David Leach. Like, where's David Leach? Yeah. I, need, I I feel like I needed to watch like Atomic Blonde or Deadpool to cleanse my palate. This, this is where my problem is. Um, 
I, this is where my question is: Could America? Could not even just American audiences? Could audiences of this day truly respect the '80s brilliance of John Woo? Could mm-hmm. Could they respect the killer? Could they respect Hard Boiled? I'm not sure anymore because you, when you watch those movies, you just kind of have to go with the fact that they're not reloading. You have to go with the fact that people were jumping out of windows. I think the spectacle of them still works, but it makes me wonder, like. Because, like, at the time, I I think everyone felt like this was an action movie, and we liked it, and it's good. But no one talks about it anymore. So, yes, I do think, but there's a tediousness to watching this that I don't know, I don't, I don't know if that comes from his old films anymore. I don't know, even if you watch his best stuff, if people are still not going to be like, uh, uh, your students are better than you, and they make better stuff, and I would rather watch Matrix and... John Wick and Atomic Blonde and Deadpool because those guys learned from you and there you go. But like, so yeah, that's a. Hmm. I could show you Killer and I could show you Hard Boiled and I think that you could appreciate the craziness of them. I think you, I think those movies can still be impressive, but do I think that people might be bored by some of the gunfights? Yeah, maybe. Maybe they go on too long, but back then, maybe ten years ago, the people who made The Matrix and the people who made John Wick would be like, John Woo's 80s movies, I was raised on those. Those I guarantee those guys would look at you and be like, John Woo's a god to me. How dare you speak of such a man? But I think they would also look at you and say, Mission Impossible 2 is boring and we could do better. And that's why they did better. And so, I just like, wonder. I don't know if you would like his old movies anymore. I don't know if children of your age would. I, kids of my age do because I, he was around TV back then, and I, I know we're only a few years off, but like it does make a difference. Yeah. TV, TV makes a difference year by year. Eras became eras. Um. Yeah. John, so sad. Mediocre job. This movie is so sad. Yeah. This is a tragedy. So, like, you get, so then, um, the shootout breaks out, and it's for the, uh, the, the, the last of this virus that he has to, <laughs> oh god, I can't wait to get to the rest of this. So, then the, um, what's the term? Femme fatale? The, the woman from, uh, uh, huh, from, uh, Solo a Star Wars Story? Uh, with the afro? Um, uh, 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 her, uh. Hey guys, I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy, but I gotta get going. All right, All right. bye, Zach. Give a grade. Right. Give a grade. Give a grade. Give a grade. It's poo poo butt. Poo poo butt. That's I'll not the letter. I'll take it. Uh, like C minus or a D plus. That's generous. I think C minus. Wow. Okay, that gives us an idea where it's uh, where Chris's mind is at. Or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a poo-poo, but I'm, like, I'm not judging it. I'm just like, ooh, that was that was a scoop. <laughs> I mean, it's poo-poo, but... <laughs> All right, but I'll take it. I remember that from elementary school in my alphabet. <laughs> I'll take it. I okay. I school. All right. I, yeah, dude. Will you take that, Chris? So, Bye, Mission, so Mission Impossible 3, Zach. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I, it depends. Depends. <laughs> Alright. I'll see you guys. Later, dude. Bye. Later. <laughs> so, my whole thing was like, 
Um, oh yeah. So what's what was the term? Um so then so then the uh the femme fatale, I think is the proper term, right? I th- I th- I mean, I think you could consider that because that's what she is doing to the bad guy, but sh- that isn't necessarily what she is in story. Here's the thing, like uh, I I I w- don't want to go too far into it, but literally John Woo loves Hitchcock and these are just he crypt so much from the movie Notorious, which is Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid Bergman is uh, a drunk, and uh, I guess you could say the movie's calling her a slut, pretty much. Just a tramp, and all. Just uh, she used to date this rich guy, now she doesn't anymore. Cary Grant, who works for the government as a spy, swings in. He's like, "We need you to go to this guy because he's a he used to be a Nazi, and he's going to do something bad. We need you to fall in love with him again and tr- pretend like you're going to marry him and find out what he's doing bad." And Cary Grant is her spy the whole time. By the end, they fall in love. The spy, uh, or the guy that she's dating, finds out. And then things go bad. And it's pretty much this movie, but it's just not an action movie. And in fact, it's way better, and it's way more interesting. It's called Notorious and Chris. I I highly recommend you watch it. It's a classic. They made Notorious, but then they just put a bunch of action scenes in it. And even the action scenes are boring. And then they just made it a half an hour longer with slow-mo. Also, like she's a femme fatale. She's actually just she's just used. They use every man she goes to in this film just uses her. They're just like, go see your ex boyfriend, sleep with him. Like I'm, I slept with you. Now go be my tool. And the government says it. Even as her ex boyfriend's like, well, you, I'm going to use you as a tool now. It's just like she has no real motive in this movie except after. Ethan sleeps with her, then she's like, I'm all about Ethan. And then she never shows up in the series again. Must have died from symptoms of this experimental um, stuff. Um, Even then, you'd think, I don't know. I don't know. I, I Again, it sticks to my theory. Collateral is the last mission impossible. Everyone leaves Ethan. Um, so... Like and then she, <laughs> she, in the moment, in hindsight, when I think about this, the moment where I should have lost it is when she injects herself with the virus. Yeah. I'm just like that. What? Yeah. That's the moment of face off. That's probably the most face off moment in this entire movie. That and literally when he rips the face off and he finds out he shot his best friend. That's probably the other one. There's a lot of face rip. There's a lot of face off in this movie. <laughs> when you think about it, there's so many masks. It just makes sense. So um, then, but she injects herself. Yes, that's like that's the most insane thing in the movie. Like, why would you do that, lady? I mean, I guess he's gonna. I don't know. It's insane. So then, like. So then you've got that. So now she's infected, right? And mm-hmm. from there you go, okay, we have to stop the spread of the virus. Because she's the carrier of it now. <clears throat> she's the, probably she's the basically last basically she's, she's a living bottle now. Right. And she has 20 hours to live. Otherwise this um, virus becomes lethal. And so we're never really constantly reminded... Of that countdown timer he starts when she's injected. Ever. Until, like, like never. So we really never, until that until the end, 
really know <clears throat> how much time she has. So, like, so after that, so, um, you have the rescuer from the, con the, the going to, no, not rescuer. He has to go to the compound to get the antidote. Um, and then, or the antivirus. And so, <laughs> what they did, they didn't show the, they didn't show them doing this. They put her in the middle of Sydney, right? And yeah. <laughs> they just dropped her off and just let her go. And expecting, like, she's going to make everybody sick or something like that. And then the next time you see her, she's walking to a cliff. Yeah, the many cliffs in Sydney. <laughs> the many. One of. <laughs> it shifts to, like, oh, now everybody in Sydney's safe. Unless she jumps off this cliff into, cliff into the water, the her blood yeah, it into really, the... Like, yeah, it really sucks that Sandy Newton is just the moment she injects herself and has the most... It's just she has the most specific character character decision in that moment. It's not just doing it for Ethan, she's doing it for the whole world. But uh, <laughs> then she's just a hostage, and then they just release her, and then she just decides to kill herself. She just leaves the movie so that Ethan could go on his one-man mission, Bond-style, on this guy's compound, killing people left and right, slow-mo jumping, all this stuff. Like, that's not Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible is the team. Right. It's the, the, it's the mission. Um, yeah, there is no mission. Like, it just turns into, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get, I'm just gonna bust this guy's compound and steal the cure and I'm gonna save my girlfriend. That's what I'm gonna do, dude. So, that's my mission. Like, and, and then another thing is, like, Okay. Oh my god. This whole movie falls apart within the last half an hour. Um, I just can't believe that this is the same guy who later is in Fallout. Right. This is the same guy from the last movie. <laughs> exactly. I like to think that this movie is the legend of Ethan Hunt. I'd like to say, I'd like to think that this is the story that everyone tells. Like, this is the first, like, real, like, Ethan Hunt, you know, the guy that, like, like one man army killed that guy who had a poison, he was gonna release it on the world, he put his girlfriend, put it in her body, and he saved it at the last minute, and now, like, he just, they just don't even talk to each other anymore, like, it's like, it's crazy, man, Ethan Hunt, like, that's, I feel like this is the legend of him, but not really what happened. It's, and I'm still People I'm sorry I'm still shooting with machine gun I'm still hung up why did they release her into Sydney it's because they wanted to go to they, the cliff face it didn't matter whether I mean she I think they didn't think about what would happen if she jumped in the ocean but even in the end if she jumped in the ocean some like maybe it's airborne maybe her rotting corpse would eventually release it when people found it that way once they right. find her body like maybe i don't know but the whole point is once once if, if it's in her system and her corpse still has it in her blood and like people are touching it and dealing with it later maybe it's like the movie outbreak like just because it's out there and people don't know what they're doing with it like who knows man someone working with a corpse may just like not wear gloves that day and just like eat their lunch right at i don't know what people do with their bodies man i don't know but like at the end of the day, like, if anything, I think, from her body gets released, and if it takes days to find her body from a cliff, 
then that's worse than saving her altogether. Or, like, here's something that's not completely far off from thinking. What if we have a Sahara situation where, like, the blood gets into the, um, the virus gets into the water, it reacts to salt water, and then it spreads across the <laughs> <laughs> Just her one body. Oh man, uh, uh, <laughs> that works. I like it. Uh, it would be all for naught. Even then, maybe the movie is saying, maybe just saying at that point she has stopped the, this whole virus bull, and she's just gonna kill herself. And the movie's just like, I'm sorry, lady, that your ex boyfriend's a a jerk and your new boyfriend's a jerk and the government doesn't care about you and just like you should jump you just jump <laughs> the movie the movie is a tragedy about how it, like if she stayed in the series i would appreciate her more but they literally never talk about her again and it's so sad she went on to be such a good actress too um also <laughs> and like what if what if the rocks at the base of this mountain aren't deep, aren't shallow enough. Sometimes it's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh crap. Right? Oh, the peaceful death does in she, the water. <laughs> oh my god. Does she, does she Vesper lend herself at that point? It's just bloody. It's just disgusting. The animals carry the virus around. Yeah, that's the other thing. Animals will carry the virus around. Yeah, the fish and I, the seahorses yeah. and all that jazz. Um, would you get stung by a manta ray? Then that blood gets into the street. <laughs> oh, God. Ooh, man. Not only did the crocodile hunter die one way, he died both ways. Anyway. So, like, the, 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 the tension shifts to, like, oh, she's in a populated area and she's about to, like, um, she's the carrier of this virus. So the, that all gets ruined because she's now she's out, outside of downtown Sydney. And she's on a house. She's away from the civilian area, so that thing gets taken away. And it's all about, yeah. it's all about how, like, she can't die. It's basically the movie's asking you to do the same thing you did for Inside Out: is care for the feelings of the. Oh God. Well, here's the thing. I actually believe in the stakes of Inside Out. I love the fact that the stakes of Inside Out are the happiness of a little girl. Absolutely, I pull for that. Stakes in every action movie are like the world, and this movie's like. No, care about whether this little girl is going to be happy or not, because for a lot of people, middle school sucks, and this girl has her family. Don't piss off her... I love that movie. Like, don't... Yeah. No, this movie... This movie, like, it does ask you to care about this one death, but the movie doesn't care about her. At the very least, it's a movie about how all the men in her life are terrible, and even one of the terrible men is just going to be, like... He's going to be a hero, and he's going to rescue her and save her, and it's like... What? He, dude, he... He, uh, he has some... They chase, they, they chase each other on motorcycles. It's not about her. The movie's not about her. It's about Tom Cruise. Like, if she just stuck around, I would have absolutely cared about her, but, ugh, no. Can we talk about that motorcycle chase for a second? Please. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> he uses... He uses the rear view mirrors to shoot the freaking gun. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Alex, what have you shown me? This is insane. <laughs> you 
for Mission Impossible. That's insane. That is Mission Impossible insane. Like, oh my god. So okay, so I think I think it's time. I mean, we we can talk about other stuff too, but I think it's time we talk about one of the most important things of any Mission Impossible movie when we have to compare it to your personal favorite Fallout and one of my personal favorites, which is John Boyd dying from the helicopter crash in the tunnel. And, of course, we'll get to Fallout when it comes to Henry Cavill, but how did you feel about the death of the villain in this movie? Do you even remember it? sucked. (laughs) The moment I'm like... The moment he's like... He's like, go ahead, throw the knife at me. At least least it'll be a better way out than your lady friend. I'm like, okay, this is the point where you shoot him in the leg and then throw him in the ocean (laughs) and leave him to drown and bleed to death. (laughs) <laughs> oh no he's got Clamira in him oh no Sydney. <laughs> um but no he just like he just gets shot it, no he doesn't just get sh- he doesn't just get shot Chris Tom Cruise I'm sorry Ethan Hunt turns around kicks the gun up from the sand <laughs> does a twirl Grabs a mirror and then he shoots him. Don't you downgrade the effort and the brilliance that went into how he got that gun. That was with style, brother. Oh no. No 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 no. <laughs> Here's the thing. As soon as as soon as the villain fired the gun, I thought when he missed Ethan, I'm like, Oh he hit oh he hit um Oh he hit he hit the uh the Bond girl. But um Turns out, um that did not happen. And I was just like, oh, please, make this a thing. Because like, we never see where that bullet goes. You know? No, that's the other thing. You barely see... It's all. It's literally all about Ethan Hunt. Even the villain getting shot isn't shown. You just see him, like, halfway hit the ground. Right. I thought, like, the moment his head hit that rock, I'm like, Ethan, throw him in the ocean right now. Throw him in the ocean right now. It's a brutal way out. He said it, like, He set himself up. Ethan nowadays would do that. Would you agree? No. I don't think so. You don't think Fallout Ethan would just take a dead body at that point and be like, dude, get out of here. No, not even a dead... No, it's not even a dead body. He doesn't even have to be dead. He can just be unconscious or have a broken neck. That's right. Okay, that's what I'm saying. An unconscious guy... Well, in his mind, is a dead body if he's throwing him over there. Like, do you think that he would do that to a villain now? You don't think he would do that now? Like, with what he does to Henry Cavill at the end of that movie, you don't think he'd do it now? That's tough. That's really tough. I feel like... Tell me, man. He becomes collateral. I'm telling you. <laughs> I believe in this theory that Ethan Hunt loses his soul and everybody else just becomes a withered old... Not even withered, but just like soul. His soul is gone. He's a hitman in L.A. and Jamie Foxx kills him. Um, it's like... jeez. Oh, so... <laughs> um... <laughs> I, it's just... It's... This is my thing about John Woo. John Woo, when he was young in the 80s, he could make that kind of moment of a guy grabbing a gun, twirling and spinning and kicking it up. That moment is poetic and amazing because... Excuse me. (laughs) um, He makes it that way. He makes it feel that way. It works. The whole movie's on that level. This is like 50% of that, and it's boring. And, And I think it's the weakest one of the batch. 
because it's it's boring John Woo. When it's boring John Woo, you just see ridiculous. But when it's great John Woo, operatic, amazing at his peak level, uh, able to do anything that he wants, you'll be talking. You'll be trying to talk to people for days about how he staged a shootout in a nursery. You're like, guys, don't, I want to like the babies are there. They're fake, but they're there. It's like, ah, oh, great. No, it's like here's my thing. It's like, <coughs> um. So, like, like, okay, hold on. It's, here's what you're getting, actually, one thing about, one, there's another thing about this movie. I didn't know, I forgot Anthony Hopkins was in this movie. And what yeah. accent was he trying to pull? I don't know. <laughs> like, did I, am I the only one who thought that he wasn't, like, he wasn't trying to be British? I he I think he was trying to do something different. I think in his mind he was just trying to be mysterious because he knew he wasn't going to show up in the movie ever again, and I think that was the point because they kind of carry that on for a while. That the the people that lead end up just kind of never showing up. Either that or they're like inherent to the plot of the story, but usually they don't. Um, this is just kind of one of the first early cases of it, so they they wanted it to be mysterious instead of having the team leader being anyone other than Ethan, they're going to have the Mission Impossible Force be mysterious. So Anthony Hopkins probably thought, if I'm mysterious, then I can't really sound like I'm from one country and sound like I'm just sort of from England because then it's not an American thing anymore. I think I'm just going to use a, 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 a really weird accent so people don't know. And if that's what I would do when I was a spy anyway, I would not use my real accent anyway. So I'm a spy. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, thing. I think he was just mysterious. Here's another thing. How do you lose track of Ethan Hunt? Well, that's how you know he's on holiday, bro. Get out. No. I do not, I do not tolerate this. I do not tolerate this. Jordan Peele's get out. Like, no. I do not tolerate that. He's one of your best agents. You need to keep tabs on him at all times. Especially when your entire, when you're, when every single Mission Impossible movie is about an agent going rogue, you better have eyes on the best agent you got. Uh, it, considering he does go rogue constantly, um, yes, you need to have eyes on him. But this is actually pretty rare. He does not go rogue. He just sort of, they just let him do whatever the hell he wants. They're like, get get out there and kick ass, dude. And he's like, sweet. You know get what this was? Player. You know what this was, Alex? This was freaking. It's like the difference between First Blood and Rambo Two. That's what oh this is god. like. Oh my god, it really is. Oh, That's what this dude, is like. what the hell is Mission Impossible Three? Right. Where are we now? How <laughs> gross think this guy is? <laughs> but yes, no, you're absolutely right. This is the absolute difference of like, I'm gonna make the, I'm gonna make Ethan hunt my Rambo for sure. He thought that in this movie for sure. In the next movie, he's a dad. Like he's, a, he's like, I'm gonna get married. I'm gonna settle down. Like, no, this movie, he thought he was like a. I'm gonna bang anything that walks, no matter what disease it puts in it. <laughs> and I'm gonna kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He didn't care. Explicit. 
Well, it does. She does. She puts the chimera in her. And he bangs her, and he doesn't care. He didn't care about her. You didn't tell me he cared. She never shows up in the series ever again. Thandie Newman is great. You're on You're on five now where you're bringing back classic people where, like, uh, Max has a daughter. No, bring back Thandie Newton. Hashtag bring back Thandie Newton. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Um... I think the, the disposability of her character speaks volumes about how he perceived this series and what he thought Ethan Hunt, the vessel, was. And the, and the change that comes in the third movie is so interesting because this movie made a ton of money, but they all knew it was wrong. They all knew it was, the, it was just not right. It's not, it's, it's not terrible. It's kind of funny. It's, it's really just kind of a funny, boring, bad Bond movie, but there are things in it that I like. I kind of I like the flamingo dancing scene. There's some beautiful shots. He walks out in the in the of his like cabin on a, during the sunset. There's some beautiful stuff in here. Yeah. It's some great homages to Hitchcock. It's not the worst movie you've ever seen, but it is an example of what can happen if an egomaniac has too much money and you could you put two egomaniac maniacs in the room and give them too much money and you safeguard one and you give the other one no harness. And you get a guy who's, like, driving a motorcycle down the road. Someone shoots his gas tank. And I'm looking at it right now. So I'm going to count how many cuts it takes for Tom Cruise to run his motorcycle into the front of a dilapidated car. So I've seen two already. Here's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten cuts for him to hit a car and then get back in his freaking car chase. From a different angle. Can we talk about like the wildest thing about that whole car chase? Is the the whole motorcycle chase is the end when they jump off the motorcycles? <laughs> yeah, I know. They, 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 just, they just swan dive right into each other for no, and they just jump off their motorcycles. They just don't care about their bikes. It's great. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh God! In heaven, what happened here? Um, I don't even understand how that happens. They go from him hitting the car on the side of the road in a heavily wooded area, and then he drives two feet, and they're on the edge of a cliff in a desert thing next to his compound. Like what? Geographically, none of it makes sense. <laughs> Welcome to Sydney. Welcome <laughs> uh, uh, to John Woo Land, I guess. Oh man, just oh. Like also the whole thing with the um the bodyguard dude and them swapping faces and roles. <laughs> like how did he have the time to do that? <laughs> I mean I'm sorry, I can't help but draw the parallels. I feel like no, the, no, I think you could like, say something we're gonna say a lot. We're gonna say a lot in this series, that's the thing. Yeah, the, and like you could say that like, John Woo is an incredible action director, and, like, he was very good at what he did. No. The reason they Get got him, the reason they got him for Mission Impossible is because in Mission Impossible, they always swap faces. Well, I think they got him because he's a great action filmmaker. I just think he thought, I made Face Off. I should continually remind people to go watch Face Off. The- I honestly got I think he just kept doing it. I just think he's like I I think he just likes the concept. I really honestly think he watched Mission Impossible and then was like, Hey, what if I made a movie about people 
swapping faces. <laughs> I'll call it face off. I think he walked out of the first Mission Impossible movie and then thought up face off and then sold it immediately the next day. And two years later, we got face off. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. That's what I think. Just, oh God. This is... I think you really obsessed with that idea of like duality. Um, now, as, as imagery in film, it's not the first time he's done that. Again, that's a Hitchcock theme. I don't want to spoil things about his other movies because you really should watch him. Like, he is... He's got some interesting crap from China. China's crazy. Um, I will say one... I'll say one positive thing about this. The one thing I actually kind of have a problem with in Mission Impossible is throughout the entire series, it's like, Ethan, in my view really doesn't get pushed to his extreme limit. Whereas he becomes like a Vincent, like in your theory. Like he never really gets pushed to that mm-hmm. limit. And I feel I felt a sense in this movie with like that's kind like I felt like I felt a in the first time in this entire franchise I felt like oh okay, now they're pushing his limits. Because he can't bear the fact that somebody is in danger of losing their life on his watch. And... That's from Notorious. That is carried over from Notorious, for sure. And, like... And, um... Just... I really... I, I don't know if it was his performance, but I really felt like he was, like genuinely like, no, not on my watch. I'm not letting this woman die. She just made the stupidest decision in mankind. Um. Oh, okay, so you... I, I get your point, because... Well, then again, like, later in the film, they kidnap his wife. Later in the series, I mean. They kidnap his wife. Yeah, they do. But do they? Yeah, they do. I forgot. <laughs> Yes, they do. They pull out. That'd be amazing. The end of Mission Impossible 3, they're like, face swap. It's just some other lady. And they're like, ah, where's my wife? She's at home. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then they just shoot down Chris's head. <laughs> It'd be no, amazing. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. I love the beginning. Here's the thing. This whole, anyway, time, like, this whole time, he was actually trying, like in Mission Impossible 3, like this whole time, he's trying to help the actual Bridget Monahan. Michelle Monahan. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the thing is, we're both confused because the beginning and the midsection of Mission Impossible 3 holds a pretty good confusing heist on you. Like, I want to get into that whole moment when we get there because I think it's a good epitome of what J.J. Abrams both does well and does not do well. It, it's the mystery box idea. It's, we're going to shoot his wife, but then we're not. And then what does it mean? And then everyone kind of... It's, it's complicated, but also I, th- I think it works in the movie, but also the reason that we keep forgetting of it, about what happened also shows that there's some flaw to it. Um, but just, but yeah, this is the one thing, if there's one thing <laughs> that I liked about... Hit his head on, I just watched him hit his head on the rock in Mission Impossible 2, and then it literally cuts to the ocean. And I was like, I was with you, man. I was like, do it. Do it. Do it. Throw him do in the it. ocean. Let him drown. Let him drown unconsciously. That's a brutal way to go. Do it. Do what must be done, Lord Vader. Um. Uh, Ethan, kill him! Yeah! No, I'm for it. Uh, 
Oh, man. Like, it would have <sighs> been so great if he went out in just, like, the most brutal way after saying something really? like that. <laughs> I think the... But then that speaks to the movie... Honestly, if Ethan Hunt had picked up this guy and just chucked him into the ocean and then it literally cuts to Luther coming out of the helicopter and, like, walking up to that moment and him being like, what did you do? And Ethan, like, got, I got rid of him. Like, I, I am the cure or something. I think it would fit the level that you're talking about in this movie, which is they push into the stakes of personal nature. Um, but, and no other movie really has that. And it's not just that he cares about this woman, which I don't think... The movie cares about her. I think the movie keeps telling you that he cares about her, but then the series never brings her back. But I do, I do agree with that. They carry over the best thing about Notorious, which is the spy has to take this woman and put her in this situation that she shouldn't have to go through, and it's dangerous and it's unfair, and she wants to get out, and you should get her out just because it's you think it's good for the country. It's it's incredibly unfair, and for him to have those like. Like, the entire racetrack scene, that's from Notorious. Like, shot for shot. Hmm. And that whole big section there is, oh, God, it's great, Chris. It's a really great movie. If you like that idea, there's a moment where she has to, Ingrid Bergman has to, in the middle of a party, find out where the bad guy is hiding uranium. And it's in a wine cellar, and she has to, like, go get it. And, like, it's timed perfectly, and she has to get the key. And it's, it's so much more interesting. It's so much more, it's so much better. Because it follows through on that idea, but it also gets into the like she is the uh, the really the main character of that movie, and in this movie they just make it all about Ethan. Gross. Make it all about it is. It is like because I. Do you ever really, truly, honestly believe the romantic interests of Tom Cruise in action movies? In action movies, not his romantic movies, because I think he's making good romantic movies. Jerry Maguire is a full-out great romantic movie. Um. Yeah, just. Oh God, just. I think the closest I can think of is maybe Edge of Tomorrow, and the great thing about that is he can't tell her really or explain to her how much he cares about her because she is, she's always dying. Right. The goal is for, the goal is for him to be able to win her over eventually, and it's ne- it's never on the even keel. The chemistry is there, but it's never on, and even you never get to see the full like end result of it. But I never really believe any of the romances in his Mission Impossible movies, even with Bridget, even with Monaghan. It's like Michelle Monaghan, like even yeah, I like that she's there, and I, I like Ferguson. I do like Ferguson. I think they're both stars. I think they are. I think that's what makes them great. Is that Tom Cruise is a star still, and Ferguson is a star now. <laughs> And they both match those levels. But do they match each other romantically? I don't know. Yeah, just... This movie's so weird. And, like, especially in comparison with all the other movies, it's just strange. Oh, God. It really... It just... It's such a sore thumb. It's such a sore thumb. If you had a choice to take this out and put Collateral in, would you do it? Is the thing, not because it's like which one's better. It's which one actually is closer to how these, how his character is, and how these films actually move and work. Collateral, definitely. <laughs> Thank you. It's so weird. It's such an outlier. Mission Impossible Two, such an outlier. It's so out there. Like it's two. Okay. It's not a team. 
it's slow-mo, it's bright, it's summery, it's Australia. It's, oh God, it's such a turn from the first one. And the third one is such a recre- it's such a recreate uh, a recorrection in general, but also it's all. I think the third one is is less memorable than I think the third one is less memorable than this. I remember Disagree. the insanity of this film more than I remember the actual good that's in Mission Impossible Three. There's something that I've seen Mission Impossible Three more times and have enjoyed my experience more, but I almost always forget key important moments in that like sections uh, every time he goes on the run and he has that chase where he where the bridge explodes and the, and like the missile hits him into the car I almost always forget that and then I'm like it happens and I'm like oh yeah this was in the trailers all the time I don't know why but there's just something like visually that that mo- the way that movie is shot that it, it washes over me like a wave but this movie is actually beautiful at times and it's super sunny and it's so like grandiose in its nature oh, that yeah, like the I dog can't in the cave. I wish I didn't remember this one as, as much because it it's super it's such a simple movie like he meets a he's on a mission he meets the girl she's got to go in she gets caught he, she immediately puts the disease in her and he's like screw it I'm gonna go get her and it's not even about her anymore they literally take her out of the equation altogether and then it's all about like Tom Cruise killing this guy Bond style. It just turns into a straight ahead Bond movie. And then the third one is like course correction. We're going to go back to the TV show and we're going to bring the group in, but it's still going to be personal because we're going to kidnap his wife. But did we kill her? Who knows? Tune in next week. <laughs> is, I actually like. I actually disagree. I guess this is the context of me actually seeing. Yep. Like, this is, like, because 3 was, like, my first full Mission Impossible movie that got me into the, um... Well, this came out 2002, and the other one came out 2006, correct? Yeah, that that, that is correct. That four-year difference is pretty... That's the difference between our generations, then, because I... I remember Mission Impossible 2 just, like, being around all the time, because it was on all the things that I was watching. It was geared towards kids my age... It's just that that was my my first real Mission Impossible was Mission Impossible One, but it shouldn't have been because Mission Impossible One is an adult movie. Like that's not geared towards teenagers at all. It's geared towards like thirty year olds who are like hipsters and anyone older who remembers the old days of film, just with like real smart, brilliant action scenes. I think like but they're at the end. The second movie is like full on thirteen year old, fourteen year old kids were coming for you. And, and anyone on that age of just, like, a teenager, you're going to hit this. And we're going to gear it towards you. You Like, Mission Impossible is now for, te- for kids. Yeah, be our, be our Transformers Michael Bay movie. And that's what they were going for, and I couldn't escape it. I think they did that same thing with the third movie, except they reeled back the whole, like, Michael Bay thing. And they just were like, okay, no, we're just going to make a smart movie. It's a smart movie for everyone. Everyone can watch this and get it and enjoy it. We'll have something for everyone. A, a bridge will explode for teenagers. Uh, people who remember Ethan Hunt and that you know cool guy from the first movie. Well, he's a dad now and he's a teacher and he lo- he loses a student. You know, oh my gosh, that's crazy. He's gonna have to go back to the game now. Remember the second movie? He was a badass. So I I feel like they're trying to do everything in the third movie to kind of get everyone. And then in the fourth movie, they were just I think they got it. I think they really nailed what the series would be from there. Yeah, it's just something about the, um... If nothing else, 
It's Carrie Russell's brain exploding within her skull. It's the interrogation. It's like it's the scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman with Ethan and his supposed supposed wife in that one scene. It's the bridge scene where he flies at a weird angle into a car after a missile explodes. Like, it's... Um, it's got moments. It's sure. Got, it's got For moments sure. that... A great moment. Stick with me, especially when I think about Abrams, because I feel like Abrams never really showed this level of... What's, what's, the, what's the right word? I don't think he shows this visceralness in any other film that I've seen of his after this. Disagree. Okay. So I think... So my, well, here's the thing. As much as I don't care about any of the emotional aspects of Super 8, Super 8 is a beautiful-looking movie. It is a rip-off of Spielberg for sure. But that's a beautiful movie, and it's... When they're shooting the movie and the train crashes, oh, oh, that's that scene is great. I honestly think like that that I I think that scene is better than anything in Mission Impossible Three. I think he because like Mission Impossible Three is his first movie. I even think Star Trek has some better moments. This is for, like I I agree with you in the point that it's an excellent movie. It's actually an even better debut. Mission Impossible Three is a solid solid debut for sure and he and i think he goes on to make better stuff okay yeah I, I'll, I'll agree with that i just i don't think three is as forgettable i don't think three is oh god three was better than this movie for like by leaps and bounds but way like, better than this movie absolutely i'm not saying that i'm saying that it, it, I agree with that. You th- that that was your first Mission Impossible movie, and that you at that age were able to see the things that I couldn't, and the things that I was looking at is that was the first movie that I was starting to look at Mission Impossible movie I was starting to look at as a film. Like that's when I was starting to be like pretentious critical dude, and I think some of that has stayed and some of that hasn't. But I've asked myself over the years, what is it about this specific movie that out of all the movies doesn't really land with me? It doesn't have a section in it, like because I I I can point to large swaths of sections of two that I relate to, and surprisingly, they're the sections that came from an old Hitchcock movie. Ha ha! Look at that. But none of the action movies. That's the other thing I wanted to ask you later about the the two big stunts from this movie. The one where he just like on a green screen zips down. He just zips down a wire like to recreate the first movie, but there's no danger in that. The dangerous scene is when he puts a knife in front of his eye, which, that's insane. Why that would you do insane. that? That does support that's your theory just, that he probably does want to die at some point on the screen. Thank you! That's... Oh, that shit's crazy. That's... They're gonna get crazier, but that's like... But it's the problem with this movie, it's just two seconds long. Like, I get that it's the, fi- it's the final moment of your boss fight, but that moment never lands with me the way that the kicking of the gun does. And the only reason the kicking of the gun does is because it's so stupid. There's so many stupid things with, ama- like, your coverage is 360. He has cameras all around, and he shot all of this footage, and he needs to cut to all of it. That I don't, I can't remember how many times you cut when you're trying to get this knife thing to go down. Just stick, like, how great would it have been if the whole knife fight had just been one shot? And it just start, and the camera just got closer 
and closer and closer to them fighting. And then all of a sudden, halfway through that fight, they start fighting about who's got the knife to the face. And then all of a sudden, the knife just gets closer and closer to his eye. And then all of a sudden, he does the knife thing to the eye, and you know the strand's not going to break because you tested it. And you see that, like, that would be so much better. Why are you cutting 50 million times to do this? Because the more cuts you have, the less I'm going to remember any of this and its impact. But I still remember from beginning to end the entire section in the fourth movie when he's climbing that building. And they have to stop the assassin, and she gets kicked out. Awesome. I remember everything emotional stake. I remember every single part of it, and whose part is in it. Maybe not that entire movie, but that section has stayed with me. I remember the opera scene, the opera scene, and I remember huge, huge swaths of fallout. But there, there's not a, there's not a section in three that I remember. I remember moments, but I don't remember a beginning to end section. And when we go back to it, I want to understand that. I want us to understand why. Also, <clears throat> yeah, I'm actually, like, three can't come soon. When I, when I was watching two, I'm like, Abrams and Brad Bird and Chris McQuarrie cannot come soon enough. Um, like, <laughs> this entire movie, even though we're talking about a John Woo movie. But, like, before we go and, like, give our grades and get out of here, the racetrack scene. I just remembered this. This is great... And uh-huh. alienating at the same time. They yeah. stop the movie for like five seconds to yeah. point out that the memory card that has the explanation of the Chimera virus is in his left jacket pocket. Uh-huh. Okay. They like, okay, they put it in his left jacket pocket, and then Ethan's like, confirm left jet. Left jacket pocket, and, and then Luther's like, "Yeah, it's a yeah." It's like Roger that. It's like you're blatantly forcing us to like. He's in its left jacket pocket, and then they have this whole rigmarole. She get, like um, um, Bond girl gets out, and then um, yeah, she's not a femme fatale. She's a Bond girl. Yeah, that's what she is. She's a Bond girl. And Total bomb. Nailed it. So, she goes and puts more money. She, she's going to put more on the horses. And um, they have that whole scene where they're figuring out what's on the what's on the memory stick after she pick, picks it from his left jacket pocket. But when she comes back to him, she puts it in his right jacket pocket and the movie stops for another like small beat of his expression of like oh she put it in oh wait um like wait what was that like but then I break it down now I'm breaking it down did he know that she took the memory card when she first took it but didn't want to oh god that doesn't make any sense. See, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the old movie Notorious, because this is literally... The whole racetrack scene is from Notorious, but they didn't have memory cards back then. I, I don't even remember if there was a note in it or not, but there is a moment later when she's doing the whole wine thing in the cellar that she has to take a key and put a key pack, and in the process, that's how he finds out that she's been lying to him. He found out that his key was gone, and then she puts it back, and he's like, oh, my key was gone, now it's back. My wife is a spy. 
Like, that's how he finds out in that movie. So they're trying to have that moment here in this movie. And in that movie also, his mom is telling her, telling him constantly that his new wife is a spy. Your ex-girlfriend's a spy. She's a spy, dude. She knows. And he's like, no, no, I love her and she loves me. And it, like, and that's what the henchman is in this movie. He's that guy. So, like, yeah, there's a part of him that doesn't want to believe it, but eventually, yes, he, he discovers that it's the case. They're going through all this efforts to literally be an old movie. Yeah. It was just, like... It's the weaker version of a much better movie. Like, it was a good moment. Like, if it was a little more subtle, it would have been, like... That, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I... The great thing about Brian De Palma is that he literally did this with Hitchcock before. There's about two or three, four movies of Brian De Palma's where he takes giant sections of Hitchcock and then he does them his own way and he does them as good of, as, as well. But then the great thing about Mission Impossible 1 is that he takes everything he learned from Hitchcock and he uses that in a story that's, it's not a Hitchcock that he doesn't take anything from huge sections of his movie he just took how to use suspense and how to use action to elevate everything that you're t- telling story wise this guy doesn't do it at all he just takes large sections and then does it book by book and that's it because he's an action guy and his action scenes aren't even that well because they won't let him do all the crazy things that make John Woo action great if it doesn't then it's just slow-mo and crazy stuff that's with a lot of coverage but if you don't have him actually like blowing like, innocent people away, and, like, huge buildings are going up left and right, and there's sparks flying, and it's not real, but it's real, like, you have to go with that, and if you don't do it here, if you sanitize it, you get, you just, you just get two people spinning their cars in the middle of the highway, and no one cares. Also, and just to wrap it up, it's just, like, the whole movie can be encap- encapsulated into one shot, and that's mm. how, like, and, like, it's, the moment where he blows his way into the the, the door where they're making the deal, and yeah. you get flames <laughs> and that you get like the, the like sunlight through the through the ceiling, and then there's a dove that flies through, and then there's Ethan Hunt, <laughs> and that's the movie. That's the you movie I- they tried to present to you. I think that's the problem right there. Like, right there. Um, if John Woo did that in the 80s, you'd have an actual explosion, you'd have actual birds, some of them would have been caught on fire. Uh, there would be piece, like pieces flying everywhere, and it would be a slow-motion shot of an actual door blowing up to that scale. He would make those flames and put a cameraman in front of it. That's what's great about the 80s. That's what's great about 80s John Woo. Technology screwed all of that up. We're going to green screen it all. We're going to put fake flames in because we have the technology, John, and we have the money. Lay back. You're in Hollywood, man. Chill out. What are you doing, man? Like, calm down. Like, Broken Arrow has them actually going out in the desert and, like, people are jumping off trains. They blew up a train in that movie. Like, hell yeah. Face off, they, they threw people from boats in that movie. They, they went to town. This movie doesn't feel like that. No. It doesn't feel like the it doesn't feel like the guys on motorcycles went ahead and did that because it's always cutting to Tom Cruise going left and right on his thing, and it's not because Tom Cruise didn't try to do as many stunts as possible or they didn't try to get as much coverage. It's the technology of shooting on someone on a bike on a truck 
is never going to look as good now in that era of 2000. It's just never going to look, even if you get John Woo to shoot it, it will never, ever look as good. I think that's a major problem here. The era that they're in and the kind of movie they're trying to tell is never going to work. You can't get John Woo to come in and like give money for him to do that. No, he's a practical filmmaker. But you also want to make your big, explosive, Bond, uh, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible movie and step away from the elegance of what it was and like really focus on the action. Like It's just, you got the wrong guy to do it. They needed somebody who, they needed Michael Bay. They wanted to make a Michael Bay movie and they got, uh, I don't know, I guess Sam Raimi? Sam Raimi was a practical guy who knew what he was doing. And if you watch that first Spider-Man, a lot of that is practical. A lot of it. And the CGI sucks because he wasn't, he wasn't in it. Maybe if Tim Burton liked to do action, he would be a good guy to do something like Spider-Man, and that would be a good for, for the kind of idea I'm talking about here, but I don't... I think he tried to pull a Sam Raimi here, and he couldn't. He was a practical guy who tried to go with, like, this stuff here, and it just doesn't look good. Yeah. Um... D-plus. Ouch! Oh! Ow! Ooh, I just... I... I can't tell whether this movie is lazy or or I, I feel like there's some passion in this movie that uh, it just feels, I don't know, I feel like this guy, I feel like John Woo and Tom Cruise wanted to make this movie, but they couldn't because the women giving them lap dances wouldn't let them get up. <laughs> I feel like that's what this movie is. They're so... There's so there's so it's swimming in so much money and they're swimming in so much drugs and rock and roll that they but they're passionate filmmakers. They're like, we want to make a good movie, but like, oh, I'm having too good of a time. I feel like that's what's going on here. So, what do you give it? Uh, it is below average. Yeah, I don't know. I got. I'm gonna give it a C. There's some. There's some beautiful shots in this movie. Like, Tom Cruise did, really did scale the mountain. He really did put a knife in front of his eye. John Woo does really care about Hitchcock. And Sandy Newton really does think that she's in the biggest movie. Like, she she thinks she's, like, this is a big deal for her, despite the movie just not giving a shit about her at all. It sucks. Um, I do... I, I do like to laugh at this movie. I think this is a really, like, a really lazy summer movie. If you've had just, like, the, a hard day, or if you had a, like, if you've been out with your friends the night before, and you j- it's, like, it's the next morning, and you don't want to get out of bed, I think this is the kind of movie you can put on. It's bright, it's sunny. I like the, the scene where she's trying to steal from the bathtub, and he's, like, letting her. And I, I like the dancers. I like the whole vibe of that. I like the Latin vibe. Just it really it, it doesn't fit the rest of the movie at all, and they try to recreate it with cars later, and it's stupid. But <laughs> I do like the bingo scene. I think it's fun. I don't think he's the great. I don't think he's a very good seducer, but I think she's great in that scene. I think she looks good. I think she like carries herself well. I think yeah, I like Sandy Newton. She would go on to do really well, and I like her in Westworld. And ah, uh, yeah, Sandy's great. It, this movie just. After that scene, wastes her. After he sleeps with her, it just wastes her. Like, the whole scene where she has to meet the guy, 
and it's supposed to be this powerful moment where she has to go meet her ex-boyfriend and he's watching from beforehand like it cuts to him like grabbing a scarf because it flies away and I'm like come on god C I'm gonna go with C minus I can't give it a D plus I think that's a little too harsh I, <laughs> I can't that's blame them that's one point being, below you uh, uh, one point below what? No, that's one point below your grade. Yeah, I think there's a little bit... <clears throat> I think maybe that's nostalgia for me. I just kind of... I could watch this movie again to laugh at it. Uh, and I... I don't know. Maybe I, maybe it's because I know there's better job out there, too. I should give it a lesser score. I just feel like they were... I feel like everyone's just, like, rich. And are just like, we need to make a movie. Yeah, let's do it. And then they partied about how they had to make a movie and forgot. And then had to make the movie the next day. Like... <laughs> I, I feel like that's the case for John Woo. Tom Cruise obviously worked very hard for this. But the image he worked hard for to, to create John... To create Ethan Hunt as this kind of, like, James Bond badass for America is wrong. It's so wrong. And I also don't like the dad image either. Um, I don't know. I like the fact that the <clears throat> by the time nation comes around, they have Ferguson step up and they give him a female equal. I like the fact that there's another person running around and just kind of like doing the same thing that he is, and he's kind of like, "Oh, you're on my level, cool." It, and I, I, I guess it took it this long for them to realize he's a superhero because <laughs> he's a superhero in Fallout. They talk about him and treat him like he's a superhero. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah it's, minus. Just, it's just like a below average action movie and it's just like... In, there are better movies from that era, for sure. Definitely. Just like... And plus, this came. This movie came out at the turn of the, the the turn of the century, and like, I just think of like movies like Armageddon, and I, that's nineteen ninety eight. This kind of feels like that. It kind of feels like this is trying to recapture that that late nineties era, and it just isn't. The funny yeah. thing is, is that he he was making great late 90s movies that didn't really feel like that at all but now it's like 2002 and they're like make a Michael Bay movie for us and he's like uh okay and he did maybe that's the problem maybe they were like John Woo you're great make a Michael Bay movie and he's like I'd make a better Sam Raimi movie and they're like no make a make a, make a Michael Bay movie and he was like alright I'll try and he did I think that's the problem here I think they wanted him to do something that he couldn't do and he tried. Yeah, just... <clears throat> they were wanting to ask him for it because it was the wrong way to take it, but then he was also just the wrong person to ask. Terrible. And also, he they gave him a lot of money, and he was like, all right, I'll do it. Yeah, this money's great. Sure. Yeah, I'll do it. Do the best I can. Yeah. And then he would make two more... I think he made two more U.S. films, and then he just got the hell out of Hollywood. And Redcliffe... Um, he made a couple years later. It's like this four-hour war epic. It's pretty good. I watched it with my dad. It's not bad. Mm. So there you go, everybody. Mission Impossible 2. Um, so next time we'll be back with uh, Mission Impossible 3. And we get um, to hail our Lord and Savior, J.J. Abrams. Um, who has... No. Who has no. saved... 
one, two, three franchises now. Um, from the uh, from either obscurity or the brink of disaster or just yeah. He's the he's the safe Joss Whedon. He's a safe Joss Whedon, but yeah, he's a safe Joss Whedon. But Joss Whedon. <laughs> Yeah, but Joss Whedon, like, like, like we can make the argument like, the, the, like, Joss Whedon, like, he still shot Avengers, like, it was a television show, and I feel like J.J. Abrams is the slightly more cinematic. No, no, J.J. Abrams is way more cinematic than Joss Whedon. Even Justice League doesn't look that cinematic when it's his stuff. Yeah. It looks like, again, it's on a set talking, but, like, my my point is that Joss Whedon is a better and a, he takes chances with his characters and with his writing, whereas J.J. Abrams is like, I'm going to give you a mystery and then solve it later. Mm-hmm. And I think he makes great characters, sure, but he <clears throat> never takes into the brink um, without ever letting you understand that they're going to be okay. You know these characters are going to be okay. I'm going to push to a limit, but you know they're going to be fine. And that's maybe what is great about Star Wars, because Star Wars will do that. Like, we, I, I feel like Empire is the opposite, but y- you watch that movie with hope. You watch that movie knowing they're going to be okay, but you're still like, God, that really was a kick in the gut. That was that was a real bad, real bad turn. Uh, Luke's, you know, Luke, you got to get back up. <laughs> like, I feel like that's there. I don't know if J.J. Abrams has ever really, truly done that for me. Joss Whedon has. Not in his movies, but on his television. And they both came from TV. Like, like I think, yeah, J.J. Uh, Abrams had three shows. Three full-on franchises that lasted at least over four years. And he created and shot huge elements of. Uh, and that was Felicity, Lost, and Alias. He made stars out of all of those people. And Lost has its moments, but they're all character-driven. So I think the character beats in all of his movies are great. And I think the cinematic nature he really grew into... But Josh Whedon actually takes chances with the characters. He kills them off. He puts them through situations. And they grow. They grow. You never know what they're going to become. And you may not like that. But you like how they got there. You care. You go through stuff with these people. Josh Whedon, I mean, J.J. Abrams never did that. To that extent. Alias, crazy stuff happened. But you always knew she'd be okay. Same thing with Felicity. And same thing with Lost. Like, some crazy bad stuff happens towards the last of the characters that I love about, but there's only real, really one couple that goes down hard, tragically. But the whole point of that show is everyone's okay by the end. Everyone is accepted into heaven. Everyone's okay. Like that's how that show ends. Just one big swath of like, don't like we're gonna we're gonna sweep away all the mysteries, all the problems, all that stuff I created. Doesn't matter. They're all they all went to heaven, and then you're like, uh, okay, I care about these people, but. Those are some good puzzles. They don't, those puzzles don't have answers? What are you doing? Happily ever after. I feel, like, I feel like he creates mysteries sometimes when he doesn't know how to solve a problem. And in an effort to make sure his characters are okay for the audience. Which, to me, is safe. That, to me, is a, is safe betting. I have no idea what he's going to do for the next Star Wars. I really don't. I, and he has said that he wants to take chances because he was inspired by the last one. And I think he's capable of that, and I want to see it. But I... I don't think he's capable of doing the kind of things that I think other writers have been throughout the, throughout the years. His contemporaries, 
Um, but that's the point. He's not bad. He's just a, he's a butter knife compared to some other people's steak knives. Yeah. That's you don't really want them on Disney. That's that's the reason Disney hired him, and the reason Tom Cruise hired him is because he at that point he wasn't known for that. At this point, when he hired him for Mission Impossible Three, like he had made a solid solid spy show. Like Alias, Alias was the like the next big spy thing. Jennifer Gardner was a hit. It was a big show. Was making a lot of money. People like Bradley Cooper was on that show. Like people were becoming stars from it, and he was the new spy guy. And he was the, it was either born or him to make your choices in terms of like who was going to make where spies were going next because no one cared about Bond anymore. Pierce Brosnan was done. In fact, this movie that we watched tonight came out I think the same year that Pierce Brosnan's last uh, Bond came out, and then the next one was going to be Casino Royale. They were done with that stuff. Explosive, great, like personal, all that like big. It was gone. They wanted like post 9-11 rounded stuff and he had been making that for years on Alias and so they were like take over our Mission Impossible movies he was the spy guy so for him to grow into the Spielberg guy to go into the franchise guy yes he has done a lot more than Josh than Joss Whedon has but I still think Joss Whedon takes bigger chances Mission Impossible 3 next week uh, <laughs> Oh man! I yeah, I want to tone it down. I'm going to tone it down a lot about J.J. Abrams because I want to talk about the movie more. Because right. I I am watching it with a really open heart. I want to see what succeeds. Because I I think the reason it's forgettable is just the way it's shot is inspired by the Bourne movies. And the Bourne movies have I don't remember a thing. That's so it's so hysterical when it's about a guy with amnesia. Yeah. Just yeah. Oh man. Okay. Um, so Mission Impossible three next week, and I get to um, relive that. So that's 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 what we're doing next week. Mission Impossible three. So um, tune in next time, everybody. Say goodbye, Alex. Bye bye.